Welcome to Tactically Acquired. Our goal is to document military-connected living history in a fun and easy environment. We will capture the stories of our active duty, guard, reservists, veterans, ROTC, and their families, sharing their stories, adventures, and journeys across the military life cycle. The podcast is for anyone interested in joining the military, has been part of the military, or wishes to learn more about military life. In addition, we want to bridge the growing military-civilian divide through education. This is unfiltered, meaning we'll go over the good, the bad, and yes, maybe even the ugly of being a military-connected individual. I'm your host, Rusty Martis, a retired Air Force Mustang and OEF veteran, and I run the Veterans Resource Station at North Kentucky University. My special guest today is an NKU student and was a member of the military service. And we have a little bit of a history together that mm-hmm. we might talk about. But first, just uh, thank you for jumping on Tactically Acquired and uh, being here today. Not a problem. How are you doing today? I am awesome. Thank you. Uh, to get started, we're going to do the rapid fire round. Let's uh, just tell me your name and uh, what branch of service you were in. All right. My name is Will Vestring. I was in the United States Army during the mid-2000s. I served in a few different places. I was in Korea for a bit. I spent a little bit of time with uh, 160 SOAR before wrapping up my career in the 101st. Um, I was in HHC in the 101st doing you know, supply stuff. Um, and yeah, eventually, you know, I wrapped up and you know, went through life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit about life, I guess, uh, <laughs> and how we kind of got connected first time. But my first question I always ask is, why the Army? You know, I wish I could say that it was a a pride thing, and I thought it was this macho branch and whatnot, but the reality is, now that I'm older, it was my escape. Okay. Escape um, from? It, um, escape from life. There was, you know, a lot of things going on throughout my childhood and my early, late teenage years, and it got to the point to where I needed a path, and what kind of drifted drift me toward the Army is because in high school, I was in a Army JROTC. Oh, Awesome. So I already had some basic familiarity with DNC, drone ceremony, ranking structure, and just uh, some military lingo, at least army lingo. When I was considering the military, the first thought that went through my mind was go towards familiarity. Right. Now granted, JROTC is not the army. So you learn the hard way that experience only gets you so far, but... So question real quick. So your JROTC experience was Army-based because they have different ones. It was Army-based, Army-based, yes. okay. So, and where did you do your JROTC? So I went to high school at Mil- in Milford, so okay. Milford High School. So uh, here locally. Yeah, it was here locally. The uh, JROTC programs, uh, or a lot of the JROTC programs here, or at least in the uh, Cincinnati area, go through the Great Oaks uh, campuses. And they branch off into... Uh, the local high school. So in my case, um, it was Live Oaks, which is a career-oriented school. Okay. Um, vocational school. Yep. And so would you say that your junior ROTC experience then helped you through the Army experience, especially at basic training? I would say early on in basic training, yes. The one thing I didn't have to worry about was getting the bed off for the wrong, you know, DNC commands. I at least knew, I knew that. I knew the rank structure. I knew parade rest for, you know, enlisted, attention for officers. So at least the basic courtesies I had down. Right. How was your overall experience in basic training? Where was it, first of all? Basic training was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Okay. And as far as my basic training experience goes, 
you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, JROTC, its experience is very limiting as far as actual, how it translates to actual army experience. And because it was such a kind of a culture shock, I struggled to fit in early on in basic training. About halfway through, uh, I was starting to think that I couldn't hack it. I was just not in it. And as a result, I got put into the profile platoon, which they, you know, ultimately a lot of those are planning on getting out. Right. But I was actually one of those people. So I'm not gonna be sit here and lie and act like that. I got through the first time, hua hua. I was kind of terrified the first time around. But when I saw what should have been my basic training class graduate, it struck something in me. Because for the first time in my life, I felt like that I, I should have done something. I made the decision to, or after talking with, it was actually the uh, SAR major of the local basic training units. And, you know, he sat down with us and asked us, you know, what do you want to do? After some thought, after remembering how I felt at that graduation, give me another go. No. Like, they gave me a warning. It's like, you know, even though you may have made it halfway through this time, you're going to be started from day one. That's fine. We've got that restart. And I was a lot more confident. I was a lot more driven. I actually had a reason to push myself through this time. Right. And that's great advice. And thank you for sharing, first of all. And mm -hmm. um, I think first thing is, well, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Second piece is you're not the only one, right? right. This happens to fairly often i think what's a little bit different is the rekindleization that you kind of mentioned mm -hmm. that you were motivated and driven by what you saw and then went back through mm -hmm. and accomplished yeah yeah so congratulations thank you that's pretty awesome yeah i remember at the time i, I was i felt like i needed to prove something to myself and i also needed to prove something to one i forgot his name but no now i remember joe sergeant bradford i felt like i I wanted to prove something to that one. So I called the unit up after I graduated and said, hey, graduated. You know, he's like, awesome job. Don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice, I guess. Yep. Good advice. So. Um, and as so at, therefore, after you made it through basic training then, um, what was kind of your next steps? So next step, AIT, Advanced Individual Training. For those not in the know, that's just basically our job training. Mm -hmm. I was a 92 Alpha Automated Logistical Specialist, which is supply, you know, there's two different supplies in the army, but in my case, it was large scale supply. So warehouse, motor pool were the two big things that we covered. That was in Fort Lee, Virginia. I can't say that there's a whole lot of experience going on there. It was, I mean, when we had our drill sergeants, you know, but things were a little more la you know, laid back. We had started kind of easy us back into having a little bit of freedom as we went along, mm -hmm. you know, gave us our weekends and whatnot. How long was that training? AIT was, I was probably there about 15, 16 weeks, but the training itself was about 13. Okay. So four or five months there. Four or five months there. Then I got, the funny thing about the military, and people don't always realize this, military likes to do this, I'm not sure if this is still the case, they like to do this ranked choice things of where you would like to go. Mm -hmm. You know, usually towards the end of your uh, job training, they'll give you a piece of paper, give us three stations you would like to choose. And it's almost a guarantee they'll make sure you go to somewhere that's not those. <laughs> I said Camp Campbell, which in hindsight, probably not the best choice. So Kentucky, um, back to Kentucky. Back to Kentucky, because, yeah. you know, at the time, you know, hey, close to home. Yep. Germany, just because it was, you know, 
you know, there's German heritage there in my, you know, my family, so I was just kind of curious. Mm -hmm. And then Hawaii, because it's, you know, younger me was ignorant about how boring uh, being on an island would be. So they sent me to South Korea. Oh, well, well, well. oh yeah. Nowhere any of those choices, huh? <laughs> so first duty, real duty station then, um, where you're in a unit, you're doing your job, is in Korea. So I fly out from Virginia, end up in um, Seoul, South Korea, where in processing for a couple of days. And what they do is they take all the people who just got there and they put them all into an auditorium and start letting them know where they're going to go. So they'll say, this person, you're going here. This person, you're going here. These people, you're going here. If we haven't called your name, you're heading up to, you're heading to 2ID. So, you know, 2nd Infantry Division, which is uh, situated around the DMZ. At the time, I'm like, you know, I'm just getting used to this. Don't let my first thing duty station be an infantry unit. They called everybody's name. Mine wasn't called. Heading over to... But I, at least that's what I thought. But right. then they were like, hold up, hold up. All right, Vestring, you and you, sit down. We haven't figured out where you're going yet. <laughs> it found out that there were a few units that are, were short on certain MOSs. So I guess they had the ability to let Intake know, hey, we need these MOS to send them our way, kind of bidding on us. Um, and I ended up kind of going in the opposite direction. I went south and ended up in a place called Wagon from All Civilization. It just, anyway. Um, Out in the middle of nowhere, I'm guessing. Yeah, but yeah, the, the actual town name is Wagon, which is right. about 30 or so minutes from uh, Daegu. I arrived there and ended up in a uh, the 16th, 16th Medical Logistics Battalion. It's it has since been disbanded, but I ended up in up ended up in a medical supply warehouse. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and the interesting thing with that warehouse is, it was the largest medical warehouse, military medical warehouse in uh, South Korea, and we distributed uh, supplies to pretty much U.S. Armed Forces of all of Southeast Asia. It, it ended up becoming a pretty big responsibility to be at that, a place like that. Absolutely. And how old were you about this time frame? So um, by the time I got to South Korea, I was I was 18. Okay. I had actually turned 18 while in basic. So, you know, young, probably not very smart, you know, made plenty of financial reckless. I did a lot of dumb stuff, but... It, well, let me ask then, because uh, if someone is in junior ROTC or in high school, or someone's just thinking about joining the military in general, you went through that, and you went through kind of a unique experience mm -hmm. through basic training and getting... <laughs> you're really your first duty station being overseas in right. a foreign area. As a young person, um, 18 years old, and any tips or tools for them? Any so, advice? The first thing I would say is, I, I'm not going to say recruiters are untrustworthy, but I would always seek out additional uh, veterans or service members to kind of, first of all, just get a general idea of what the military is like, both you know, basic and post-basic training. Absolutely. Because you got to remember that, you know, and with all due respect to those recruiters, they have a tough job. Mm -hmm. Their job is to sell you on the military. You need some, you need to hear it from somebody who has you know who is has experienced it that isn't under the gun to get numbers. So I would talk to somebody that has been through that experience, uh, just get a general idea. Uh, be willing to ask questions, even if you feel like they're dumb questions. You know, especially going into high school. You know, the one thing is try your best to go into 
go into it with an open mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it going into basic will be nothing like you've ever experienced. You got to get yourself in that mindset that, hey, this is going to be new. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'll get used to it. Well, it's called a degradation ceremony for a reason. Right. right? Uh, strip you down of all your civilian identity and build you up with more of a military mindset. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is totally different than anything you experienced at any time in your world, even though you went through junior ROTC. And one thing I would highly recommend, if maybe you're not in the greatest shape in the world, start working on that. Yep. Um, I'm not saying that you have to go in there a Olympic athlete. You don't. Mm -hmm. um, they'll build you up, but you've got to be able to survive five minutes of activity when you get there. You'll get. I mean, you'll get stronger as time goes on. You need to be able to recommend it that you're able to at least, you know, be able to knock out, you know, a few push-ups, few sit-ups, you know, walk or even speed walk for an extended period of time. It just makes your life a little easier, doesn't it? It does. It yep. does. Yep. And I hear that quite often, actually, as we uh, sit around and talk um, to people that experience that. And another piece of advice I would throw out there, too, um, is talk to all branches of services mm -hmm. and see which ones agree. just feel right to you. 100% agree. Um, and with that, the mistake I made is, you know, I... I, I almost treated it like the Army was the only branch. And the thing with JROTC is, you know, you'll have the instructors, they'll, they'll talk some crap about these, you know, the other branches, because we do that, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But, you know, when you're talking to impressionable, you know, high schoolers who, you know, they might take some of that seriously. It's like, hey, you joined the Air Force, you're a sissy. Right. You know, and that's not the case. Yeah. So I agree. Talk to, talk, to all, talk to all branches. You know, do a little bit of homework on the various jobs within those branches. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about setting yourself up. If you go active duty, because there's other mm -hmm. ways you can go. You can go National Guard or Reserves as well. Hi, I'm Staff Sergeant Jason Myrtle. I'm the recruiter for the Kentucky Army National Guard here at NKU and in Northern Kentucky. The Kentucky Army National Guard offers 100% scholarship to any public university in Kentucky, along with a possible $20,000 enlistment bonus, additional income while attending college, and numerous other benefits. If you have any interests or questions, my contact information will be in the show notes. Go Guard. But if you go active duty, you're signing up a contract basically for the eight next years. four, six, eight, maybe 20 years of your life. Right. So, uh, Speaking of, whenever you sign up for the military, you're... you're you're on the hook for eight. Yeah. You're eight minimum. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, Great point. You know, you might see things that say four, you know, two year contracts, four year contracts, eight year contracts, or six year contracts. But in reality, um, the short of medical reasonings or whatnot, the military, even if you get out after four, can pull you up until that eight. Absolutely. Great point. Great point. Um, so I want to jump back into Korea real quick because right. you're 18 year olds, foreign country. Um, have a, a huge responsibility. Uh, what was that like? So, culture shock, yeah. you know, and it's in the matter of, you know, some months, you went from everything you knew at home, which you learned that, you know, what you know at home is very limited compared to the world. Mm -hmm. Then you go into basic, that's another culture shock. Then you fly over into a foreign country that's another culture shock. So it's these constant changes. It gets, initially it gets overwhelming, especially when, you know, you don't speak the language. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, so you need to rely heavily on those who do speak the language, or at the very least, 
you know, can understand, you know, broken English, which is something I eventually got very good at. <laughs> um, but it was, def I would say initially it was very nerve wracking. Okay. You know, it, it take, took some time to get used to, but eventually, you know, I became, you know, pretty comfortable there. I think one thing that helps is the military over there has an agreement with the Korean military. And there's a, you would call them rock soldiers, Republic of Korea. A lot of those, um, you know, service members of the Korean military are integrated into American units. Mm -hmm. Having that, and a lot of them, you know, speak decent English, so a lot of them can help. It kind of helps bridge that gap. Absolutely. You know, you have, you know, people that can teach you the culture over there that can maybe help, you know, translate for you a little bit, teach you a few things. It helps that the military had that initiative. Um, it definitely makes the transition period a lot easier. It just took some time, yeah. but eventually I was, I was really, I was a lot more comfortable. Thinking back, older me would have stuck around. So how long were you there in so Korea? I was, I was in Korea for a little over a year. Okay. There's different uh, regions that are considered quote unquote, quote unquote hardship tours. And hardship tours, you know, usually start out at about a year. Um, and then you can be incentivized to stick around another year or two. Right. Um, in my case, you know, after a year, I thought, hey, I kind of want to go, go home. So I saw an opportunity to go to, you know, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Every so often, the military, like, fun fact, fun fact of the day, just like um, businesses, military units will poach from each other. So sometimes, like for me, uh, 160 um, Special Operations Aviation Unit, they sent me a recruitment email. Hey, we need you know somebody in supply. Are you interested? Sure. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I, it was steady there. I was in a good position. Um, I actually had worked my way up to a point to where even though, let's say, at a warehouse, the shipping section is where I primarily worked, I was viewed as the go-to person there. You know, some, sometimes even over the NCO. They also had me run what we call our mail room, which is basically our local distribution room. For, so units that, are, that we don't have to ship to that come to us, that was my responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know, they also put me in charge of, re, you know, organizing a, we called it free issue. So basically a bunch of spare stuff that other units might be able to use at some point that they can request from us. I was in charge of getting that organized. Now I'm doing this all as a, you know, E3, E4. Right. So I was actually in a very good bot. I was also at that, towards the end of there, I was also 19 and not being very logical about my decision making. So I was like, hey, opportunity to go home. Hey, look, spe special operations, that'll look cool. Phew! Off you went. Off, you know, off I went and ended up in Campbell. Okay, before we jump to Campbell though, how much of the culture did you were you able to assimilate uh, while you were in Korea? Um, did you get to go off base at all? Uh, we did. Yeah. Um, luckily, with you know, in Korea, I was in a slightly less restrictive area. If you start getting up towards the DMZ, they're, they're, the rules up there are a lot more strict. Mm -hmm. But since I was a little further south, you know, we were allowed we were allowed off post. There were curfews. They wanted us in by like you know. I think they had it set up to where it was like midnight on weekdays and 1 a.m. on weekends before they sent out the, uh, they had these things called courtesy patrols where they'll basically have any NCO lead a few people to make sure that 
the soldiers weren't getting themselves into trouble and then dr drag soldiers back that weren't mm -hmm. or were getting into trouble. Right. Or if it was getting close to curfew time to drag them back to post. I actually had to do a couple of rounds of that. We were allowed to go off post. Um, it was just like a lot of places, you know, the culture varies depending on where you're at. So if you go immediately off post, there's some sly people. They have a line of bars placed, strategically placed. Yeah. Um, they call them the call it the Ville, and pretty much it's party time. You know, at any of those places, you know, the different bars that might have different themes. Mm -hmm. You know, they have you know they hire workers to entice vet because they can't. Certain things are not allowed, but they can entice soldiers to buy more stuff. Mm -hmm which is usually in the form of drinks or food or whatnot. Right. So they got some, that's just some sly business practices right outside of post, especially in Korea when we're away, otherwise away from familiarity. Right. And you know, they take advantage of that. But if you get past that, like in Wagon, things become a lot more traditional. People are working, doing their various jobs. It's not too, a too far cry from what you might see over here, except for it was maybe a little bit quieter. Mm. <laughs> but that in the smell of kimchi was everywhere. <laughs> but if you go into like the major cities, all of a sudden, it's a frigging party. You know, you go to like Daegu or you go to Seoul, just all kinds of stuff going on. It's like, you know, you got lights and billboards and it's almost like like little, like many New Yorks here and there. Mm. Um, so it, it's really an experience. Right. But I will... At a very young age. At a very young age. Yeah, and I will note that at least at the time, Korea, I always felt that Co the Korean pop culture was about a five or 10 years behind what was popular over here. Mm -hmm. So by the time we get to like 2005, 2006, boy bands had kind of fizzled out. They were really picking up steam mm -hmm. over there. You'll see a lot of that, you know. And these days, obviously, K-pop is huge. You know, and maybe low-key, they were ahead of their times but being, by being behind other times. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> to figure that out. So you got to experience a lot while you were there and, and really grow as a person, it sounds like. So transfer over to Fort Campbell then. So right. You ended up so at Fort Campbell. I think that's where things kind of started declining a little bit. And you're about halfway through your enlistment at this point. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm about halfway through my enlistment. And I made some... As I said, you know, in a ways I felt like I should have stayed in Korea because I jumped into a situation that I was woefully un unprepared for. Mm. Just like, you know, most special operations units have another, have a round of training. This being, you know, 160 being no different. Kind of like a, an advanced basic training in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't know why at the time it threw me off my game. You know, I did the best I could. I was, but I was I was struggling a little bit. Was that from a physical standpoint, a mental uh, standpoint? I would or say a bit of both. I would say a little bit of both. Gotcha. Um, because I had effectively, for one, I culture shocked myself again by coming back to the states. Right. Yeah. You know, culture shocking myself, just trying to adjust to being back in America and going through another round of essentially, you know, advanced basic training. Right. 